0: want to thank our good pal joe for crafting this this just powerful new intro theme for us
1: yeah definitely thanks goes out to joe i have always wanted to be on a podcast where the intro slaps and finally that has been made a reality by someone with like veritable musical musical talent and uh you can follow uh
0: some of his tunes on soundcloud at uh i believe it's just bags but we will link to that in the description uh sam i witnessed something truly astonishing today at work uh you want to hear about it
1: absolutely especially if it was villainous
0: well you tell me Uh, i you know i'm trying to be an objective reporter here uh it wouldn't be right for me to pass judgment but the as i've told you before it's serious they have these uh you know like someone comes in on their press tour and they want to make a big deal they'll do like a town hall sort of uh you know audience event in this uh you know area in the lobby called the fishbowl where it's you know it's conducive to like more public radio recording and today the catholic church radio channel and Sirius hosted the filmmakers behind a new right-wing film called unplanned sam do you want to know what unplanned is about do you want to take a stab at this uh,
1: it's gonna be heinous isn't
0: it you know it's anti-abortion
1: <laughs> i mean with a title like that there's really only one or two things it could be about if we're interpreting it as a religious right sort of movie Yeah, I mean, you know exactly
0: what it is—a redemption tale of a former Planned Parenthood employee (laughs) who is uh, shown the error of their ways. And I believe there's controversy around this film because it was given an R rating, and they were like, "Well, you can have such," because apparently it just shows like really like brutally, uh, you know, like you know, like a a health class video from an extremely like evangelical teacher, like. You know, it's trying to gross you out of having an abortion if you need it, which is a disgusting uh, propaganda tactic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't like the idea of this genre of like what Planned Parenthood employees or abortion practitioners end up going native with the religious right and see the error of their ways. I feel like that's a pretty craven take on a general movie trope. Well,
0: all I can say is it's not every day that you can be in the uh, near uh, presence of true uh, anti-abortion,
1: you know, uh, activists. Well, let's go to a story that really makes the case for abortion. Um, This is the story of the, the MAGA Yelp. This is a conservative Yelp app that will... Identify restaurants that are safe for people wearing MAGA hats, people who have handguns, or people who are just, I guess, visually, obviously just chuds.
0: Have we ever seen a more clear example of a safe space than this app?
1: No. Of course this is a common trope of conservative media these days is this craven attempt to i guess play the victim endlessly even though their whole ideology is that nobody should play the victim at any time but apparently they're really triggered because have you ever heard of this chef j kenji lopez alt no is he uh, uh, some sort of alt-right chef <laughs> No, no, not at all. He's uh he works at Serious Eats. He's actually like a brilliant cookbook author and he's won a James Beard award for this and truly his recipes actually slap. I mean, Serious Eats is one of the few like online food publications I can truly truly recommend almost at any time. Like when I want to think of a recipe for something that I want to make, I will always look up the Serious Eats version before looking at any other website's, you know, version of it or even a published version. But either way, he apparently has opened a restaurant in San Mateo where he would not welcome any patron who walked in wearing a MAGA hat. And of course, the conservatives were triggered and responded heavily to this. And that's what was the genesis of, I guess, this MAGA at Yelp app. So,
0: this seems to be a reaction to what I think is something I've seen online a lot. You know, it's the Is it okay to punch Richard Spencer uh, discourse all the way down the line to what we're talking about now where you'll see a a fiery discussion over the stupid uh, children yelling at the Native American man? You know, is it okay to wear these symbols of Donald Trump and expect not to have any pushback from anyone?
1: And what's interesting about this is that I don't think that a lot of the people who say that wearing a MAGA hat in public is hate speech would say the same thing about the American flag generally. Whereas, I mean, if, you, if you're if you waving an American flag in what, like Cambodia or Laos or something, like what kind of fucking sadist are you? I mean, the United States destroyed those countries illegally in the, in recent memory. And... I, I think that it's it's sort of like how people mentioned that Donald Trump, I guess, is this uncomfortable, garish image of the worst impulses of America. And you can kind of see it in this whole fervor over the MAGA hat and whether it's hate speech. I mean, I would agree that it is hate speech and that seeing someone wearing a MAGA hat is um, makes me uncomfortable. And I'm not even I'm not I'm you know, I'm Jewish, but I'm a white man. I'm cisgendered either way. I'm. I, not really bearing the brunt of Trump's assault, but at the same level, it's like, these. this is the symbol of literally the president of this country. <laughs> I mean, at, w- at what level do we have to confront the fact that even just more tawdry symbols of American empire are honestly at least as vicious as a MAGA hat?
0: Well, when it comes to these people feeling comfortable like eating... I find it hard to believe
1: that more small business owners aren't pro Trump. Absolutely, but I don't think that restaurant owners would like to see very many MAGA hats in the, you know, in the in, amongst their patrons, just because it scares away a significant portion of their patrons. And if I could be cynical, I would say that that might be part of what J. Kenji Lopez Alt was thinking when he banned the MAGA hat from his. Worst hall restaurant and beer house, but I don't know. I I also can sympathize with the fact that, like, you do not want your patrons, especially if they're not white men, to have to see that kind of shit while they're fucking eating. And you're not supposed to wear a hat in a restaurant anyway. So,
0: Sam, would you consider joining this uh, service to find, uh, you know, cuisine that I I wonder if there's any vegetarian cuisine on there? (laughs)
1: Oh my God. Yeah, I should go on there and click the vegetarian only option, and then just get instantly booted from the app. I mean, it's pretty craven. They're trying to posit that this is like some sort of, you know, green book for the oppressed conservative in this country. <laughs> green it's book. just like they really have no self awareness because they always play this victim card, but then they're the ones who are victimizing everybody else. I mean, if you just stop doing that, then other people might be nice to you occasionally, but. Anyway, that's just my two cents on the MAGA Yelp thing. And also, you know that every restaurant on there is gonna be trash. Come on, like, where? <laughs> what is it? What is it gonna be like Mission Barbecue and fucking nothing else?
0: And honestly, I know these people exist, but it's fucking lame to wear your fucking like politics on your fucking hat. I'm sorry, like, I, you know, imagine like walking around with like a Pelosi hat. <laughs> I, I and again, I
1: know those people exist, but. Seriously. <laughs> so, I mean, speaking of wearing your politics on your clothing, I mean, this is inescapable with our next topic with Mr. Robert O'Rourke, the uh, otherwise known as Beto. It's Beto. 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 Birdo. I mean... We can call him whatever we want on this podcast. It's not racist to call him Robert O'Rourke. But either way, Beto is... You, you see Beto on... on t- have you seen a lot of Beto t-shirts walking around New York, Dan? Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of Beto
0: t-shirts, but definitely, like...
1: I, I, I don't know. You can tell a Beto, bro. No, in D.C. you can tell them because they wear the shirts. And it says the people who wear the Beto shirts are like the cool people in DC and by cool I don't mean that I think they're cool <laughs> what I mean is that it's like the it's the hip thing to have now like the yeah, most... it's the Pod Save America exactly it's, it's if you have a Beto shirt and you got the Pod Save America shirt you are in like the top 1% of cool in Washington DC currently
0: okay i think our you know, because I think people are probably wondering, wonder what the guys think of old Beto, and what's their take on Beto? And my
1: honest answer is, it's hard to even say, because he doesn't have any policies. Exactly. If you go on his website, it's like a link to buy the fucking t-shirts that I just mentioned. He does not come out with a... A hard policy prescription for any of the pressing issues currently facing us like i don't know what What are some of the issues on your mind right now dan i'm thinking about how the world's going to end soon because of global warming we got like 12 years left before what what heat waves that sweep the fucking nation and rising sea levels what are you worried about what's on your mind
0: well certainly i think he wasn't uh, gung-ho about the green new deal uh, as we would have liked to see him I, I don't know he he was meeting with APAC like right after he lost the Senate race. not always a good sign foreign policy wise I have a lot of questions uh I will say i I think he said he's open to getting rid of the filibuster, which is definitely good, and that's a position Bernie hasn't even uh taken.
1: so do you know any of the like conversation around that of the ending the filibuster because the filibuster is what? allowed the republicans to i mean effectively hold when there were democratic majorities safely under obama and we thought we were going to get like legalized weed and socialized medicine and all the shit and we ended up with next to bubkiss the everyone blamed it on this dreaded filibuster that the republicans do and so i guess the democrats these days have been like if you're Serious about this fight, you should probably want to get rid of the filibuster. But of course, there's all these like civility centrist types that think that somehow preserving the filibuster is, you know, essential to fair debate or something. I, I don't know.
0: Well, here is an area where Beto has made himself loud and clear. He is like definitely not in the single payer universal health care corner. He is in the affordability and mm-hmm. access
1: if you like your doctor, you can keep it sort of shit. I believe that everybody who meets the certain means tested qualifications should be theoretically conceivably able or have the potential to at some point see a doctor that they can afford.
0: Oh my God. And then Sam, did you see the, the Bill Maher comment? Which one would that be? Well, you can pull this one up, Sam, uh, because I know you uh, reply guide on it before. <laughs> but he, um, he said something to the effect of like, "Hey, like to the left, you know, you're gonna blow this if you criticize Beto." Uh, because I guess Bill saw and what he considered to be an unnerving amount of people criticizing Beto for having his wife like silently sit there during his announcement video, which like. I don't know. I my, my social media is mostly like leftist people. And that was not something I saw until I saw uh, Bill Maher gripe about it. So that s- says to me that it might be a bit disingenuous.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, my problem with Beto is... Far from the fact that what his wife doesn't speak enough in his campaign. video, I've never watched one of this guy's campaign videos. And the reason I've never watched one of these is because this man is like a bag of hot air that looks like Bobby Kennedy and is being floated across the country as this just massive distraction. I think he... As we've said, has no policy prescriptions. He has shied away in the past from co- considering himself a progressive even. I believe he was asked, point blank, do you consider yourself a progressive? And he said, "Whoa, well, well, I don't know what that means. Well, he's got a right-wing voting record a lot of the time as compared to any of the other Democratic candidates. Exactly. And even though he is a representative of Texas, he still, I think, was is from a district that is very solidly blue. And we mentioned the some jokes about his, his nickname. Obviously, Beto is not his real name. Robert is his real name. He's of Irish descent. But Beto, I think, is a Mexican nickname for someone named Robert because you would short it to, shorten it to, what, Berto. And then when you cut out the R there, it's more like Beto. But uh, of course, we've seen people disingenuously claim that making fun of his nickname is racist, which... It would be if I guess if he was actually Mexican, but he's not even Hispanic. He he's Irish, as we mentioned, and apparently his nickname was a ploy by his father, who was a judge. I want to say, and said that if he was running in, a, in elections around El, El Paso, which is where I think he lives, that he would need something that plays well with the Hispanic community there. So they literally made up this nickname. Him to yes, get. This, is,
0: this is what Ariana Grande, Grande does, you know? Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know, and Beto's not even Italian when that's like their thing to do. But anyway, <laughs> either way, I mean, I, this man just seems like a kind of, he's the perfect Democratic nom in that he has a horse face, he has a good head of hair, and he doesn't really seem to believe in anything. But he is like a careerist goon. I mean, his Vanity Fair... What announcement where he said like I'm born to be in it, man. I'm just born to be in it and shit. Number one, no one talks like that. I've never heard a person talk like that at all, and it's not because I'm not from Texas.
0: No, and like standing on lunch counters and like yeah. coffee shop counters is not
1: a personality, you know. And I, I truly hope that in the primaries people realize that he's a lot more John Ossoff than Barack Obama. You know
0: what, Sam? He also, he was, you know, doing one of his speeches on top of the coffee shop counter in Burlington. He said, claiming that future generations will look negatively at Trump's tax bill. Beto said, they'll ask, who were those pendejos?
1: We don't want to be those pendejos. Oh my God. Yeah. No, he does so much. Um what they call it, his pandering, I guess, you know, pandering to his imagined Mexican heritage. But apparently, and I don't even know a lot about this because I'm not plugged into this community, but he does a ton of punk pandering because he supposedly was in like a punk rock band when he was younger and he got like a DUI and he tries to play up this like And he was like in a, rocker. Hacker, a hacker thing.
0: Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have the quote from the Vanity Fair article. Uh, it said, For O'Rourke, what followed was a near mystical experience. Quote, I don't ever prepare for a speech, he said. I don't write out what I'm going to say. I remember driving to that. I was like, what do I say? Maybe I'll introduce myself. Maybe I'll take questions. I got in there. I don't know if it's a speech or not, but it felt amazing because every word was pulled out of me, like by some greater force, which was just the people there. Everything I said, I was like, Watching myself, being like, How am I saying this stuff? Where is this coming from?
1: <laughs> I mean, now that kind of makes me like him because that's me anytime I'm called that on at a meeting of any kind of work. It just comes out of me. I don't know where this what I'm even saying at some points. I mean, he's obviously describing the the time honored art of bullshitting.
0: Well, right, and he has yet to offer uh much uh in substantive policy uh proposals he also i will say is trying really hard to not criticize any of the other candidates because i think he knows that this might not pan out for him he still probably will end up running for the senate seat if he loses this uh, early enough or he guns for a, a vice president uh position granted that I, I i you know one of the lady candidates wins because i don't think a male candidate would 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 dare pick like a white man as the vp
1: mm-hmm. yeah i i do think that the most charitable reading of his candidacy is that it is a sort of vanity project or a careerist project but i mean i'm so cynical and their response From not just, like, the kind of boomers who are looking for that Bobby Kennedy reboot that they never got for, you know, the past 50 years. I'm so shocked at people our age or younger who are into Beto. I'm always just like, why you? Like, what do you—I genuinely don't understand this guy's appeal, maybe because I'm not partial to this kind of aw shucks boy next door Democrat political candidate, but— I just, there's nothing there other than a smile and this kind of aw shucks attitude and this imagined punk rock heritage.
0: (laughs) Did you see the guy who tweeted the picture of his wife with Beto and it was basically like, yeah, Beto, please fuck my wife. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and of course we've seen, there's the legendary, you know, Beto makes your ankles cramp when you come tweet and stuff. There, There is this bizarre sexual fetishization of the man, but... I, I guess when it comes down to it, I I'm so terrified of Beto because he's exactly a kind of hot air person who gets this kind of support and attracts the reason the donor class likes him so much is specifically because he will maintain things basically the way they are. He will maintain the status quo while dressing it up in this kind of you know, s progressy, hopey, changey sort of language and i, I in my hell world uh, diagnosis say he takes the nom but i, I recognize that it's not realistic folks
0: and just remember anytime someone tells you uh beto o'rourke is sorry beto o'rourke is
1: it's not pronounced beto <laughs> you, you were pronouncing it beto for a while on the show and i didn't say anything and now i like it that's because I disrespect him. I disrespect Beto, but the I think the actual nickname is Beto because it's supposed it's like Roberto.
0: But anytime someone tells you Beto is B2 I, I, B2 <laughs> uh, is uh, you know is like reminds you of Obama, just say he's not Obama, he's he's the white Cory Booker. And I think like anytime you say that, people kinda get it. All right, let's get out of uh, Beto world. Uh, unfortunately, he's probably not going anywhere. Um, we have a quick update. I mean, this is like a pretty big uh, a QAnon little story. Hell yeah,
1: this actually fucking owns. I,
0: I don't even know where this, I guess he's a 24-year-old Staten Island man. Uh, what's his name? So his name is Anthony Camello. He murdered the head of the Gambino crime family and appeared in court. You know, he's just a 24-year-old. Who apparently was very high, and this wasn't even related to mob activity, the reports say. Uh, this was apparently over the uh, victim's refusal to allow uh, Anthony to uh, date his niece or something.
1: Yeah, it was some bizarre interpersonal dispute. But, I mean, the reason that we have to bring this up is that this dude is in the courtroom showing his hands, which have, like, MAGA and QAnon slogans all over them. And, I mean, this guy is just legendary. He's 24. He gets super high, like, smokes a fat blunt or whatever. And then off's literally Gambino crime family boss Francesco Cali, And he was arrested in Jersey. And I'm just like... Who where did this guy come from like and it's over like you said this bizarre interpersonal you know argument and
0: this i believe is pretty much the first murder where i, I believe like q anon like came up in the courtroom i mean he went through the effort of writing on his hands like united we stand maga maga forever he's showing them off in the picture he- yep exactly this anthony camello he's he's he clearly has a few uh, screws loose. He apparently previously uh, reported in the New York Post that he tried to perform a citizen's arrest of Bill de Blasio.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, depending on the charges is probably justified.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, listen, uh, we don't have to get into, uh, you know, uh, de Blasio. Uh, there's, There's, I'm sure, many reasons to... (laughs) <laughs> want to perform a citizen's arrest but you know QAnon is at this point a thing i read about recently was that they're saying like they're 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 expecting a like day of mass suicides from like democratic leaders like hillary clinton barack obama nancy pelosi like so that they will avoid like deep state persecution so this is like the shit that these people are wrapped up in
1: yeah and i mean It's very, very disturbing when these things become just so mainstream that genuinely I'm thinking, oh, it's a threat to my body. The fact that people believe this QAnon theory, who knows what they're going to do at any given point. All these wackos believe in so many kind of end times conspiracies. And obviously this isn't as awful and tragic as, I guess, the shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand, where one of these online right-wing alt-right wackos shot up mosques, but... And live-streamed it across, you know, social media. ...while shouting out memes. And it just goes to show, I mean, we joke about these things a lot on the show because it is comical to a degree, but to some unknowable extent... People are willing to kill and die for these bizarre online, I guess, conspiracy theories or beliefs or communities. And it is truly shocking. And I do not know if we all have the wherewithal or the like machinery to deal with this sort of thing right now.
0: I, I mean, one of these people is the president.
1: Yep. I Yeah. I don't
0: know what to do. So, what are we going to do? We're going to go back in time,
1: folks. Remember the 90s, Sam? I, You know, I I probably remember the 90s better than a lot of people who were born in the 90s and claim that they remember the 90s. I, I, I will say that I was born in 91 at like the tail end. I believe you were too, Dan. And we only remember the 90s about as much as some one i guess who is nine years old or younger remembers the 90s
0: yeah i would say that's uh that's fair uh, like i remember the monica s you know a uh, scandal but not so much through the lens of like the gritty details because obviously didn't really know what any of these uh terms meant at the time but you're eight you don't know what sex is <laughs> And this was a story I that we're going to talk about that I remember quite uh, vividly as, like, the punchline that I think the documentary really uh, shows that the media made it. So we're going to talk about the uh, Jordan Peele-produced uh, documentary Lorena about Lorena Bobbitt. Yeah, this one slaps. Yeah, it was uh, uh, excellent. We're going to go through each episode. So... If you don't want to be uh, spoiled, I mean we're not going to reveal like everything. You're going to want to watch this thing. Uh, but, you know, we're going to we're going to go through really like what this show is, what we think it says about American culture and just I mean this is this is a very uh, n- nuanced story. I think the jokiness of it
1: really went away when you see the full scope of it. Absolutely. And I mean if you don't want to hear spoilers, like, we're talking about this for the rest of the episode. So just turn the, the fucking episode off. I don't care. You, we already got the listen. Turn it off. Turn it off now, honestly. Yeah. It, turn it off. Who gives a shit? We don't want you to listen anyway. It's just, we just talk
0: to each other. So this was a, a fantastic documentary, Sam, because I feel like this was, like, such a time capsule of... Uh, Just a completely different media landscape and, I mean, culture that did not take, like,
1: domestic violence seriously. I think one of my first realizations about this was that, oh, like, this is the difference that the Me Too era, I guess, kind of makes. Because nowadays, people would be more sympathetic to Lorena Bobbitt's story as opposed to in the 90s where... I mean, not only was, I guess, the discourse and the legal framework around domestic abuse relatively nascent, but also, I guess, media circuses or cable news was also relatively new.
0: Right. And if you don't know what the story's about, why don't we just kind of start where the documentary starts and. It begins with a clip of Steve Harvey, of all people, uh, acting out not being able to find something uh, on his TV show. Now, Sam, let's just get down to business here. What what is like the events? Like what is the
1: night of that this is describing? So obviously, most people know the story. Lorena Bobbitt who is married to John Wayne Bobbitt and they live in the idyllic town of Manassas, Virginia in Prince William County. So the story of, I guess the, the cutting shall we say is world famous. Most people know this, as we said, it is a common nineties punchline after a dispute, Lorena Bobbitt, the wife of John Wayne Bobbitt, Cut his penis off and drove off with it. Apparently, like, threw it into the bushes and then threw the knife in a trash can and was. Yeah. A- and then eventually, I guess, turned herself into the police.
0: The uh, exact, uh, like, minute by minute, she can't quite remember because she was in such a state of shock the entire time. Uh, one thing I. I- noticed immediately uh because the first episode interviews a lot of these like cops and how they couldn't even say like severed penis on the radio on the police radio because they didn't want to attract
1: attention absolutely i mean as i said this takes place in manassas virginia you know that's that counts as northern virginia that's not very far from It's like 35 miles away from where I live in Arlington, and this is a very northern Virginia story between the repressed rage and the tension between Central American immigrants and the Marines and other, I guess, armed forces that are like stationed around Quantico and the other bases. But it is hilarious the degree to which they avoid saying penis in police dispatches because I think initially they were worried in the saying it over the radio because they thought that, I guess, journalists who are listening in on the police scanners would pick up on this story and swarm it. But it even gets to like such a ridiculous point that when they find the guy's penis, this guy Sergeant Hurley is literally too religious to even touch the dick. Like he just points at it. If you touch the severed like
0: penis, you are clearly gay. Now I want to go through sort of, I want to go through sort of the logistics of it. So initially, the cops thought she swallowed the penis,
1: which that would have been badass. And. I... Dan, I initially remember hearing about this and thinking that she had bitten his penis off, like, in my passing knowledge of it before I, like, watched the documentary or whatever. I don't know why that was in my head, but did you get that sense as well or did you always think it was cut
0: (laughs) no i always kind of i always i feel like i always knew it was like a knife like like she cut it off with a knife now what i was surprised about because you do see in the documentary like you see that dick and you see that dickless uh uh, shaft or like you i guess that i guess you see like the dickless scrotum um The penis, where she throws it, it doesn't land in the bushes. It lands in, like, kind of, like, tall grass, and it's very small. It's, like, two or three inches because it wasn't, like, erect at the time.
1: Yeah, and that's a totally normal size for a penis. Am I right, Dan? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) um, anyway, uh, the, yeah, the image of the severed penis when it comes up, though, because it's, like, midway through the documentary when it's first shown and you hear about the background of John and of Bobbitt's marriage, you're kind of like, yes, like get him, queen. (laughs) Because as they reveal, John Bobbitt, I mean, what could drive a woman to this kind of rage where she literally severs his member? I mean, he was, what, apparently repeatedly raping her and abusing her and belittling her. Many people corroborate this throughout the course of the documentary, but throughout the course of her marriage, and she was also an immigrant, I believe, of Equipment, ecuadorian descent but she said she had family in venezuela and she was i guess viewing her marriage to john as the number one she was very religious very catholic but also viewing it as a path to citizenship viewing it as a path to like the american dream and he just straight up exploited her as he did many other women for throughout their entire marriage until she retaliated against him in this way
0: And I think it's interesting how in the documentary uh, and John Wayne Bobbitt is still alive. He is still around. Uh, He's in the dock. Yeah, he's in the dock. And in the beginning before you really get into the details you almost feel bad for him because he is this like just gray, sullen like fat loser now. Um, You know, living in like a tiny apartment like with nothing and Lorena is uh, married and doing quite well. But you, I, I don't know. I, 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 it was hard for me to get over some of the details, like how they they had to uh, put the dick on ice in at, at a Seven Eleven. Like they ran into the Seven Eleven next to where the dick was thrown and had to throw uh, the dick on ice in a hot dog bag. And they, I, I, I wrote down this quote: uh, "The tourniquet came off and the penis pinked up, and it looked terrific from the start."
1: Yeah, because of course, they're the best penis surgeon in all the land has to come forth to like reattach the sh- the severed dick, which works and it functions apparently. All- Another fucked up element of this
0: story was that everyone involved wanted to become like uh, a celebrity off of it. Like the doctors would do like these, you know, ridiculous TV interviews, and all the while missing like the point of i guess why Lorena did this right because you you had this time right you had um this was uh after anita the anita hill hearing you know there'd been instances i guess in the media of like women not being taken seriously and this was one where i think men just could not get over the fact that like John's like MAGA chud brothers, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. uh, on TV. Like I, I find if I was there, I would have classic like conservative thing like oh if only I was there and like I, I would have been
1: beat- you're so fucking l- lucky Lorena you're so fucking <laughs> yeah. lucky I wasn't there and uh, no absolutely they show clips of like his fucking brain-dead brothers talking about how they would literally kill Lorena Bobbitt if they saw him her like r- what rushing for their brother's penis with a knife or something stupid but of course as soon as they say this all the men in like the daytime TV audience stand up and are like clapping and giving this fucking standing (laughs) ovation.
0: I found the quote. I found the quote.
1: She did worse than kill him. She took away the thing that means most to a man. (laughs) No, genuinely, you'd hit it on the head. The thing that men took away from this is this like, wow, the worst thing that could possibly happen is if your dick gets cut off. It's not because for men, You know, men are abused and men are raped, but generally, especially in the circumstances of this marriage, it was very much the man had no, uh, explains away all of his responsibility in abusing the woman and being the abusive one in their relationship to the point that they're genuinely delusional and they really think the worst thing that could happen is like your dick gets cut off rather than that your partner abuses you and traps you in a relationship for years. And I mean, it's astonishing to me like you said they interviewed the surgeon who performed the penis reattachment surgery everyone in the story is clamoring for their 15 minutes of fame in the nascent like cable news network the penis prosecutor Paul Ebert <laughs> oh my god but like the 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 interviewer asks the surgeon like will he ever have a normal sex life again as if that's like the worst possible thing like they genuinely were more worried about whether John Wayne Bobbitt would have a sex life again rather than like oh my god he was clearly abusing this woman to the point that she went nuts and like cut his dick off John's
0: personality the whole time did not indicate like someone who was being victimized right like like he, he fancied himself this, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme type. He really thought he was, like, this buff, like, you know, movie star, good looks. You know, that he courted the international media attention when it, like, did pour in. And you see this interesting sort of, like, entertainment angle where Lorena's boss, who she really trusts, like, hires her an agent from Hollywood. So that's when the media starts publishing her name and it just becomes this... You know international incident
1: right and John Wayne Bobbitt I mean who is like I would say he's absolutely the villain of this story he's this is sort of like a monster movie over the course of the four episodes but the monster is John Wayne Bobbitt into a larger degree I guess male like you know deb- domestic abuse. Well, like his John's,
0: uh, John's uh, trial for like, uh, was it like rape or uh, spousal assault? I think they they called it. Um, the judge only uh, allowed admissible evidence uh, from five days before the night of the the incident,
1: right? And which com- becomes relevant later during Lorena's trial because there's two trials that come up in this. There's first the tr- trial of John Wayne Bobbitt for the alleged abuse who is
0: found he is found not guilty after uh, the jury deliberated for just a couple of hours and the uh, literally like the penis severing canceled out all of the abuse that he had. I mean, that was pretty much the, you know, what the
1: uh, jurors who they talked to said. And of course, as was established, I mean, at the time people were just not really ready to hear about, I, or one of the jurors literally is like, "Well, sometimes I, I didn't get
0: Lorena because sometimes she dressed like a housewife, and sometimes she dre- she dressed up more,
1: right? Stuff what, like that. I guess. Yeah. W- what really factors in that first trial is just the, you know, outright sexism and the utter, you know, disbelief that a woman could be is abused, or at least the belittling of those claims of abuse, but." Again, like, CNN and cable news are broadly at the source of this mania there. Like, I remember watching this and just thinking that everyone who thinks, who believes so endlessly that, like, capitalism is necessary for us to have a free press and for us to have this competition, you know, the the marketplace of ideas is so fucking full of shit. Because all the networks were just covering this, like, piece, which largely does not affect really anybody in this country other than the people at hand, even though it is this kind of cultural reckoning or, as they put it frequently in the documentary, you know, the battle of the sexes between. Well, and
0: it was the beginning of this uh, tabloid reporting from serious news outlets.
1: Right. That's what I'm getting at is like it, it's where you start to see these like organizations show their true colors.
0: Okay, so uh, John's, like you said, found not guilty. Then we're on to, uh, this is like the some stuff that happens in episode two. Uh, John is acquitted and his family ships him off to a Colorado ranch so he can lay low and be with horses before uh, Lorena's trial. And John can't stay still. He goes to a John Wayne Bobbitt look like
1: contest at Hooters and blows his cover. Absolutely. And- This is actually good because it gets to something that I was consistently astounded at in this documentary, which is the depth of John Wayne Bobbitt's stupidity. He is one of the stupidest people I've ever seen documented on film. He is unspeakably stupid. He apparently... like in there when he was courting Lorena he would like never pay the bill because he never had money he proposed to her with a literally with a ring that he found at the bottom of a public pool and um prior to the cutting incident he had been working as a bouncer but then like quit because he never showed up ever and could never be pro- you know pressured into working <laughs> I don't know if we
0: said this but he was a huge drunk. Right. This uh, headline was particularly jaw-dropping to me. White trash America finds a proud new hero. Literally that was like in a new- like a-, a newspaper.
1: No, he absolutely meets the definition. He is prior to the cutting, he lost his job as the bouncer and Lorena was supporting the household entirely on her income as a manicurist. And their house was foreclosed on. She wound up at one point stealing seven thousand dollars from a uh, from a Nordstrom's. Uh, obviously, this is like kind of a late capitalism story. But and as you see with John Wayne Bobbitt going down in into like his modern day life, he can just never hold down a job. He's just a consistent piece of shit everywhere he goes. He drinks too much and abuses women, and he is just a a repeat offender of the worst kind. Like he's the worst kind of abuser and he should be like put in a hole.
0: Right. And we'll, we'll get to some more specifics, but uh I thought the angle uh that Lorena said about uh not wanting to plead guilty to the felony for a lesser sentence. She said that she wanted to risk the twenty years in prison because uh that was the only way she could still be an American citizen. If she pled guilty to the felony she could never become an American citizen. So that that is really at the heart
1: of uh you know her motivations here. Oh my god. And th- did you see like they had some of those kind of what documentary editing techniques where they show, I guess, like her, you know, where's ostensibly her immigration forms. Like they superimpose them on the screen. I was so triggered by seeing uh, the address of the USCIS Vermont like processing unit. And I was just, it reminded me so much of work, and I went to like a shiver.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, yeah, you don't want to mix work with, uh, you know, your entertainment there, Sam. But this, uh, (laughs) we see John's charged with assault and battery uh, on the stand. He denies everything, even though uh, he'd uh, signed,
1: uh, you know, he basically like admitted that he did do it. And he also never tells the same story twice, even in the documentary when they're fucking interviewing him.
0: Yeah, and I have to say this. Uh, I I know uh, th- this uh, is something that's uh, been on a lot of people's minds since they uh, watched the, the Leaving Neverland documentary. But like the uh, celebrity uh, ad- like just complete like adoration, adulation that Michael Jackson got during his uh, trials. Uh, John Wayne Bobbitt was getting it too I mean maybe not on the same like scale as like having millions of people like worship him with their every fiber their being but like John uh, Wayne Bobbitt was getting like crazy amounts of fans outside the courthouse.
1: But I did love, like, his country friends who also lived in the same, like, apartment complex as the Bobbits and all dimed him out for being just a shitty boyfriend and a fucking abuser of women. They, even just down to, like, his interpersonal quirks, they talked about how he would, like, never pay for anything, how Lorena always, like, looked down at her shoes when she was around him, and he always would, like, yell at her and belittle her. I fucking loved Jonathan Kalpua, one of the—the the guy in the car, I want to say—like, who they interview in the car— and he's just such a treasure all those like dudes who like the neighbors yeah yeah they're they're all kings and when they when asked in the documentary they're all like i would never allow a man to abuse a woman in that way and i was like that's that's what it that's what it takes at a certain level to deal with this problem is i guess you know men like us need to just stand up and be willing to call out people who are might be you know might not be seen as cool to do so or whatever but it's the right thing to do uh episode three had a great
0: uh, bit where Geraldo Rivera was uh clearly the most obnoxious reporter oh uh like in the media frenzy he not only sent Lorena a signed headshot like his of his own like his own uh, assigned photo uh he had his crew like stalk her running red lights uh yeah. to f- and like uh on the road and filming her through her windows at home like fuck Geraldo. <laughs>
1: I mean, fuck Geraldo and also the trial. I was just blown away in both of the trials in the in the trial of John Wayne Bobbitt and the trial of Lorena. How much of the like details of just like even just personal details about their sex life and Lorena's own body were like just endlessly, I guess, obsessed over in not just the courtroom but in the fucking like on the national TV in the media. Literally, like, people, things that were up for, you know, legal question were, like, did you have sex at this time? Did you orgasm? Did you, did you say, were you angry after, did you say anything afterwards? Like, just the most personal, intimate details of their relationship and specifically about her own body, like, about her, her, like, contraceptives she was using and stuff like that. It's just fucking insane the level to which her privacy was completely, obviously, just thrown to the wind. But she felt like she had to risk all of this just to clear her name. And it's, I mean, the fact that her story never seems to waver while John Wayne Bobbitt's story, like, is completely unbelievable at any given time. It's just, it's so fucking stark, the difference.
0: Yeah. And he, there was a part where he claimed like he wasn't even drunk the night of the like s- severing of his penis, which like shut the fuck up, man.
1: Like, come and on. And then at a different time, he claims that he had four beers when one of his friends who testified against him said he, that he had had more than seven.
0: And, uh, <laughs> Another uh, element I found interesting was like that John's like racist comments and like threatening her with deportation and stuff. I guess once news of that reached uh, the Hispanic community, they did uh, show up uh, for her and uh, outside the courthouse she had
1: supporters as well. Um, and I cried. You did you cried? I cried during that part of the it, it was powerful Absolutely. It, yeah. it was so adorable they were like on uh, just you know the most fucking bare bones like social media of the time i guess offering each other free rides and like carpooling it's just such a, like an amazing and beautiful like show of solidarity yeah very moving
0: and, uh, you know, as we see the uh, trial wrap up, uh, we meet a, uh, a client at the nail salon of uh, Lorena's who noticed she had bruises and uh, clearly uh, stood up for her and uh, spoke to the cops.
1: And that was so crazy. Did you catch that? cuz that came up in the second trial not during the first right. trial. Remember as you said in the first trial whether or they only wanted to discuss stuff that happened within like the first 5 days and this lady whose name was Regina Kagan was a client of Lorena Bobbitt's, like, within that five-day period and saw her in this state where she was, I mean, she described just all the textbook symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, she was shaking, she clearly looked tired, she was very fearful... And she reached out to Lorena and was like, what is the matter? And she and Lorena was like, I can't tell you I'm trapped, which is what abusers do. What John Wayne Bobbitt did, which was say, you have nowhere to go. I will hunt you down wherever you go. And of course, in her case, she's not, you know, a U.S. citizen. So you need me for your immigration status. He had all these ways of like threatening her and controlling her. And Regina Keegan saw this so clearly and genuinely seemed very concerned for her and I think, what, Paul Ebert, the Virginia... The penis what, the, prosecutor. Absolutely, yeah. The top prosecutor in Prince William County in Virginia, who actually re- only recently retired. He had been, at first, the youngest uh, person to hold his title, and then the oldest person to hold his title. He served for, like, 50 years. I think he did the D.C. sniper case, too. Absolutely, yeah, he did. And um, so, yeah, very famous attorney. But he actually gave the... Number of Regina Keegan, the nail client, to the defense, to Lorena Bobbitt's defense team. And um, then he also told the state forensic psychiatrist to call her. And the state forensic psychiatrist, who initially had testified because the legal matter was whether or not, um, the abuse that Lorena Bobbitt suffered was enough to make her suffer a momentary, momentary like lapse of reason, or I forget what the specific legal wording of it is, but like temporary insanity that so she did not know she what she was doing when she cut off his penis. She was not criminally responsible, right, and therefore not criminally responsible. So when he had initially testified that the abuse had not. You know, risen to that level or met that legal standard. But after Paul Ebert told the state forensic psych- psychiatrist to call Regina Keegan, he changed his testimony, which was very powerful. And I think eventually uh, helps lead to Lorraine Obama being acquitted for this assault. When they uh, read the verdict, someone in this courtroom screams like a woman
0: screams, "No. And yeah. uh, Lorraine is instantly like committed to a mental hospital, and she said that was like jarring. And uh, th- there were a couple of uh, interesting Larry King show clips after that where uh, he was talking to a woman who represented the National Organization for Women against the uh, director for the National Organization for Men. And they were just having this very spirited like just just so like in the moment debate where, you know, th- anything she says is negated by him saying, that's his penis. But um, you also see John Wayne Bobbitt's parents on the uh, Larry King show, you know, bemoaning the, uh, you know, not guilty by reason of insanity verdict.
1: Yeah, and his parents also. I mean, it should be mentioned that he, John Wayne Bobbitt did come from like an abusive home. His parents are clearly like the biggest pieces of like MAGA shit out there. Let's just, I got so much on the last episode
0: with what they, they showed John.
1: Okay, so the last thing I have on Lorena Bobbitt's trial is the piece of shit jury four person, Gary Kokalis, who is in this documentary and looms large as being like the one person who still wanted to find her guilty of you know attacking john or being of a sound mind when she attacked uh, john wayne Bobbitt, and i was just like dude can you like you're so on the wrong side of history about this Can you shut up it was so weird how he was like so prominently featured
0: yeah but i i guess that's uh you know that was how a lot of the public felt at the time which is so fucking weird because when you watch this documentary it seems so like clear-cut like who's right and who's wrong
1: yeah and like what do you want her to go to jail for like the what is how does that solve what your perceived slight like he, he already has his dick back and let's get into the last episode where we find out what he was doing with his dick afterwards i got i got i got a few things here
0: so I'm just gonna go through them right now. Go for it. Uh, John judged a a ch- what he called a transvestite Lorena lookalike contest, and at that he sold his underwear. Uh, and this was uh, at a time when he decided to make a living stripping, and through porn, um, we had John Wayne Bobbitt Uncut, where literally an a a porn actress portrayed lorena in the in the video which was fucking disgusting
1: yeah especially cuz you know the whole background of it by the time you see this in the documentary um john at every turn was
0: completely taken advantage of and he absolutely he made a tiny bit of money, but like every, you know, fucking just like moron who gets like a taste of uh, like fame and his lawyer, uh, I mean, he took his credit history to record, court, forced him to file chapter 11 bankruptcy. The hospital never got paid for attaching the dick, <laughs> which was at least $50,000. Like none of them got paid.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, exactly. It's so funny how like Jack Gordon and like these other like. I guess vultures are able to make a good bit of money off of his porn ventures, which did sell well. But as we mentioned earlier, John Wayne Bobbitt is too stupid to live and d- is not able to like really cash in on this the way that he probably could have. No, 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 no. He, uh, it, oh, well, uh, yes, Sam,
0: I know exactly the big moment. What? What? When he becomes ordained? Well, okay. That was, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's before this. Okay. So, okay. Well, I want to also say, uh, during this whole time, uh, Lorena suffers from PTSD. She's really suffering, and John is still just like fucking up, becomes an ordained minister in Vegas. And then he gets what can only be described as a
1: botched penis extension. Yes, and this was crucial to me because, remember, as we described the pro-John Wayne Bobbitt, faction earlier it was all men who were saying like the worst thing you can do to a man is take away his penis but as soon as this guy is free to go and has a little bit of money and some agency the first thing he fucking does like the literally the first thing he does is fuck up his own stupid dick and balls like he's just too dumb to live
0: now, that was just in the news. This billionaire guy got a, had a failed penis enlargement surgery.
1: Yes, I absolutely researched this for this part. Which
0: is just fantastic when you find out the surgeon who performed John Wayne Bobbitt's penis extension lost his license. <laughs> the dick doesn't work, by the way. I don't know if we made that clear. It's disfigured, and it doesn't work.
1: Right, but because of the surgery, and of course, also, women have described being raped by him subsequently, so... There is some way in which he's probably able to make it work. But the guy you mentioned earlier is this billionaire, uh, Belgian Israeli billionaire who made his money off of like diamond training. So, I mean, you can't get much more like despicable than that. This guy, Ehud Aryeh Laniato, died during penis enlargement surgery in which they apparently like inject just chemicals or like goo straight into your dick. (laughs) And he oh. so I think that's like similar to what John Wayne Bobbit got. And he describes in the documentary later on saying he had like a sad one that doesn't work anymore. And I mean that. Uh, it's hacky to make these kind of Darwin Award jokes, but at the same time, like you get, you reap what you sow. If you go in for one of these like greasy, if you're so insecure about your own dick and balls, that you go into like one of these greasy fucking surgeons and they mutilate you for life. That is on you a thousand percent, and you deserved it.
0: So we also uh, after that see John Wayne, uh, Bobbit shoot a film called Franken Penis. Uh, you can guess what happened there oh and then he joined uh who just died this guy dennis hoff yes at his bunny ranch uh, in i believe nevada he hires john but john is literally the and this is like uh, dennis hoff is like a famous like uh you know
1: uh uh, brothel owner let's yeah uh, i think that's the best way to describe it yeah the bunny ranch is this famous like legal brothel in nevada and he has this weird like self-help mentality of like teaching the ladies how to negotiate their prices and he's like i'm uplifting them but at the same time and as he says in this documentary he's a huge media whore and that's of course the only reason he hires john wayne Bobbitt, who's never hold- held down a job for more than like 10 seconds in his entire life to be i guess like a bartender at the bunny ranch
0: yeah, Dennis half uh, uh, before he died, was interviewed in the doc. Uh, he says uh, John went from nice guy to asshole in three drinks. Uh, no shock there. Oh, and he described an incident where John's family, uh, or this was one of the managers, uh, John's family pulled up uh, to the manager's
1: house to threaten her over John losing his job. Oh my God. Can you imagine like you, you, you just, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you've never had to like manage people like this before, but like you just fired some piece of shit employee and then his chud family shows up at at your door that night just when you think you're rid of the person that sucks ass.
0: Oh, and he he had this ridiculous like clothing scam where he would sell like buy clothes and sell them back to a store at like a markup or something. Yeah, no, he uh, would sti-
1: he he stole one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of clothes and then just return them to other stores for cash because that's the kind of person that he is. He's a, just a permanent degenerate.
0: And uh, we learn about this uh, horrific story where John kind of. Uh, uh, has an affair with a 19-year-old dancer. Uh, takes her to Niagara Falls uh, where she pays his rent for like a while.
1: Yeah, she supports him. She was a like a, a, what, an escort at the Bunny Ranch and she paid his rent from Nevada for him to live in Niagara Falls because he was trying to like escape the country.
0: And she says in this documentary, John Wayne Bobbitt said, you are, you're my Lorena now.
1: Yeah, and when she went to check up on the apartment she was paying for, he wound up, what she describes, and she appears, like, her voice is blocked out, and she's, her face is not shown, and she describes being tied to the bed by him while he repeatedly raped her for, like, three days, and then when she tried to, and he, like, held her, I guess, she tried to escape, and he, like, held her over the, like, the balcony, and witnesses saw, and he was eventually, I mean, I I think convicted on charges related to this. He pled guilty to battery. Yes. And he was, and he was convicted for another, of um, a, a number of other, like of these similar kinds of crimes, but it just like the last episode is titled the cycle of abuse. And it just goes to show how John Wayne Bobbin never changed. He had no intention of changing or being any kind of different person than a degenerate abuser of wom- women.
0: You see, he says he gets attacked in jail, which, uh, you know, you deserve that one. It's, that's fair. Uh, we see the 1996 Violence Against Women Act passed, so that was kind of a big uh, moment, uh, you know.
1: And it's amazing that uh, Joe Biden has shown uh, consummate Joe Biden, the worst kind of politician, shown what uh, berating Anita Hill in the beginning when they're setting the context for the you know eventual scandal with Lorraine Bobbitt and then afterwards talking about how he wrote the violence against women act and he's like this champion of women with Orrin Hatch oh my god yeah absolutely all right this was one of the my favorite points of the documentary John
0: Wayne Bobbitt we 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 roll up on wherever the fuck he's living in 2018 uh, 2019 it's like Las Vegas (laughs) Yeah, Vegas looks like the shittiest little, like, shack, apartment, whatever. And he has a license plate that says DJ Trump. With the always a Marine license plate cover. And then his motorcycle license plate, I think, just said Trump. So I think this is just so perfect, right? And before we close out let's also say that he says he had a violent dad who left the family and he said violent attacks from black people happened all the time because he lived in a quote ghetto and Lorena was like a way for him to find success and and like love and the creepiest part and saddest and probably most like, I, I don't know, just this was like the realest thing in the doc that, Lorena has, like, hundreds of letters that John continues to write her.
1: Yeah, and Facebook messages and emails. I got a
0: quote here from, I think this was a Facebook message. We could make a lot of money together.
1: Yeah, he's, like, constantly asking her to, like, do business ventures with him and shit. Just real disturbing stalker shit. It, it, uh, even, like... Some of them he says things like, I will still find you. Like, we're meant to be together. I'm already trying to find my way back to you and all these things. And uh, it, then when they ask him about it, and of course they... I love that they reveal at the end that he's like a a tactical Trump idiot. Like they show him not only with the despicable license plates, but also the, I guess, shooting a gun on like a firing range, wearing like tactical gear and drinking like monster energy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: all the signifiers. It's just so perfect, right? This dickless. Just ball of cruelty and like selfishness and like laziness. Like, it's every, it's, it's, it's such an archetype of like a fucking MAGA Trump
1: complete chud absolutely and i love that i mean i assumed all of that and you know especially when they show like clips of his family i knew that he was definitely that kind of person and the fact that i knew he was still alive today i could have put two and two together and told you but the fact that they reveal at the end and they're like all of your preconceived notions about this guy are 100 percent true it's like that is the true villain of this is this like sense of petty self-entitlement and i uh, it's so disturbing how they ask him point blank at the end about whether he's been contacting Lorena or sending him letter, her letters. And he of course does one of his bullshit lies to the camera, like looks uncomfortable and says, no, I I don't think I've ever contacted her. And it's just, and they're, of course they superimpose that over her, just scrolling through like Facebook messages and like going through the physical letters he sent her and just, I mean she's doing fine and li- and is ma- happily married and lives in like Alexandria, Virginia, but he is so fucking disturbing.
0: And I don't I don't think we like I don't think we like highlighted the degree to which like the media, people like Howard Stern, like Dr. Oz, like all these people treated John with such this like like you know, they they turned him into a celebrity and like celebrated him uh and you know John still makes like appearances today
1: and he's able to capitalize on it in a way that Lorena is not really able to do so she i think even though she is successful now she has done it as a an advocate for i guess domestic abuse issues and kind of these honest like real ways to make money whereas as we talked about earlier john wayne Bob was doing porn and stripping and like capitalizing off of his kind of you know 15 minutes of fame shit And it even is so heartbreaking to me after Lorena Bobbitt's trial and after she got out of, I guess, uh, you know, psychiatric care, she wanted to do a documentary about her life just to pay her like medical costs and legal costs down and stuff. And her scummy ass small business tyrant boss, Jana Bizzuti, like exploited her and like screwed her out a lot of the money that she should have made from the documentary I
0: think she took like fifteen or more, like some something like like a significant percent of the
1: money, and then just like Lorena cut her out after that. Yeah, I mean, at every turn, it's like John Wayne Bobbitt is, even though he is also exploited, he is sort of encouraged and celebrated, whereas she becomes this like black sheep figure and has had to like reinvent herself and has arguably had like one of the most ruthless like journeys to the fabled american dream out of anyone and it's just like the double standard even after i guess 25 some odd years is still so like stark and i just loved how this doc was bookended by
0: the steve harvey <laughs> uh, interview and uh like how it showed that lorena can laugh about it now and that she can use this as like a platform to talk about how women can, uh, you know, find resources and like help when they're in that situation.
1: Yeah, and I mean, on that note, I feel like the documentary itself was well done, even though it was gripping and I guess very brutal because of the multiple descriptions of John Wayne Bobbitt's disgusting sexual proclivities and. Or, I mean, I don't want to dignify them in any way like that is discussing abuse tendencies. And I mean, like, what were your impressions, I guess, of the filmography of this or the, you know, the cinematography, the, the film, the, ma- the filmmaking, Dan, tell me, tell me about the art.
0: Yeah. The filmmaking uh, I thought was very tight. It's, you know, it didn't, uh, you know, sometimes with these uh, documentary series, they can really fucking just lose sight of the, you know, central like uh, uh, threads and stuff. But, you know, and I, I do feel like it was important to get John Wayne Bobbitt on on camera. So Definitely, This. I guess this isn't really like a filmmaking comment, but I think showing both sides was extremely powerful because it completely deflated this, any fucking concept you have that John, you know, deserves sympathy.
1: Yeah, I love the way I think they try to present him even-handedly at the beginning, but just as you start to tell the details of what he was like as a person, any sympathy you would have had for him is gone by the first episode. I mean, if you're a fucking human being with a pulse and I think that the pacing of the, of the documentary is so impressive and the way they reveal details as time goes on to, I guess, keep you, keep you glued to a story that is, you know, 25 years old, but I guess has not been presented in this kind of compelling way, and I thought it was very well done.
0: And I, I think it was very eye-opening to see the way, like, the media, and you know, f- for kind of the way, like, comedians and like cultural figures handled it. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, comedy uh, in a lot of ways uh, now. Is, you know, to- especially like topical comedy is very like boring and stuff, but maybe boring is better than just outright like misogynist and like, you know, the kind of stuff they were saying about Lorena um, when she was a like rape victim, like, you know, these Jay Leno bits that are just completely cavalier about, uh, and you know, Stern stern talking about like how she wasn't like hot enough to to rape. Come on. You know, uh, like it's if you if you say like culture is worse now you're you're stupid.
1: Yeah, I definitely was blown away by the things people fix their mouths to say about someone like that and much as people complain about the overly PC world we're in today or whatever, I I think that we it's definitely the discourse is markedly improved since I guess the the Bobbit days, but Definitely a crazy trip down, I guess. That's an important, like, 90s cultural artifact. That was a real cultural moment right there, even though I think it is mostly remembered as, like, a media circus over something frivolous. There is, as this documentary shows, some real, like, meat there and some real insight that you can show about the way, I guess, you know, the genders interact today.
0: And I guess that'll do it uh, for the plunge this week. As always, f- we encourage you to follow at Spuventacular, at Wagstank, and at Plunge underscore podcast. And <clears throat> we always looking for feedback, topics uh, that you'd like us to cover, stories um, and uh,
1: reactions, whatever. I, I don't care. Five-star reviews on iTunes, too.
0: Yes, they're a couple up we there. Need more of they're those. nice.
1: Thank you, guys. We appreciate that.
0: Yeah, much appreciated to anyone who's written a review or uh, you know listened. I, I appreciate you know anytime I you know anytime someone presses
1: play, it's uh <laughs> it's nice. Your heart just soars. Make Danny's day. Share this with your friends and family, even if they're going to be offended. And if you don't, I will stand on every lunch counter I see. Oh my god, you're gonna do the do the beta where like here's a normal human uh posture let me stand on this chair backwards and look down on you it's called a bido. i sorry i didn't mean to be racist there all right thanks everyone we'll
0: see you next time